Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. It would stand to reason if God is incomprehensible, then I as a finite creature probably never would be able to fully understand or grasp these kinds of things. So the doctrine of the Trinity doesn't really present a problem for me. It goes hand in hand with what you would expect from the infinite God, from the incomprehensible God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis, chapter 3, verses 20 through 24, in a message titled, Clothed by God. Now, here's Pastor Brian. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So we come now to the final portion of this third chapter. Let me just remind you in verses 14 through 19 that we've been looking at over the past few studies Uh, God pronounced a curse on the serpent, the woman, the man, and all of his dominion. It is from those verses that we learn that everything from thorns and thistles to death are abnormalities, things that, as we've seen, were not a part of God's original creation, but they came in as a result of sin. And so God, having pronounced the judgment upon man and upon Satan, now we find the response of Adam. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, we of course, speak always of Adam and Eve. But it's an interesting thing, I think, to note that up until this point, she did not have that name. As a matter of fact, no name was mentioned in regard to the woman up until this point. But Adam names her. He names her Eve, which means life or living. Adam believed the promise of God. God had declared that the seed of the woman would ultimately crush the head of the serpent. And of course, all of this transpired as Adam was there 
in the presence of the Lord and listening to the judgment that was pronounced and the promise that was given. And we see that Adam, by faith, names his wife the mother of all living because he understands that through Eve, life is to be restored. Through his wife, life is to be restored. So he gives her the name Eve. Now, I've been asked the question, and um, I know Pastor Chuck has been asked this question too on pastor's perspective. Oftentimes, you know, younger children will call in, and sometimes they, co- they call in with some of the most amazing questions. But one of the questions that we've been asked has to do with Adam and Eve and whether or not they will be in heaven. I think clearly from what we read here in the final verses of this chapter that Adam and Eve will be in heaven, that Adam and Eve were reconciled to God. They, of course, had to suffer the immediate consequences of their sin, but their relationship with the Lord, although it was altered from what it had previously been, it was a relationship that continued. And we, we see it here. We see Adam, again, he's exercising faith. He's putting his trust in what God has declared. And he shows that by, by naming his wife Eve. Now, did you notice how in verse 22, the Lord speaking, he said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Notice the plurality there. Uh, We talked some time ago in one of the earlier studies in Genesis, we talked about the doctrine of the Trinity. And we talked about how even though it's not, you know, fully spelled out in the early chapters of Genesis, it's definitely hinted at. And I think we talked about uh, the way the Bible progressively reveals things to us. And, you know, initially there's, there's maybe just a hint or just some small indicator of something, but then through a process of time, that idea begins to be developed more fully. And so remember the first time the name of, or the title, God appears in the first verse We talked about the name of God being Elohim, which is plural. And so there we have have that hint. And then here, once again, we see a similar kind of a thing going on where it's God who's speaking. And the question is, who's he speaking to? When he says the man has become like one of us, who is he speaking to? Oh, he's speaking within himself as the, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the communion it is transpiring between the, the three persons of the divine nature. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity is one of those things that has been puzzling to people on throughout the ages, and there's been debate and controversy and those that have denied the doctrine, and that's one of the chief tenets of the cults today, All of the cults today deny the doctrine of the Trinity. And it is something that's 
it's difficult for us to get a grasp on mentally. There's one God who is three distinct persons, but yet ultimately there is just the one God. How to, you know, to really wrap my head around that, I don't know that I can. I don't know that any of us can. You know, when you read theologies, you find some interesting perspectives. You find some people saying the doctrine of the Trinity is so profound, it's so deep, we could never begin to even remotely comprehend it. And then you'll read some other theologian who says, oh, this is really simple stuff. You know, we should all be able to get this. And it's, you know, then he'll give a few illustrations of what he thinks a Trinity is like. For myself, it's been one of those things that it's hard to really get a grip on it mentally, but, you know, it would stand to reason if God is indeed who the Bible claims him to be, if God is incomprehensible, then I, as a finite creature, probably never would be able to fully understand or grasp these kinds of things. So the doctrine of the Trinity doesn't really present a problem for me. It goes hand in hand with what you would expect from the infinite God, from the incomprehensible God. So whether or not we can ever fully understand it, it is indeed what is taught in the scripture. I might not be able to ultimately, you know, grasp it mentally. I don't have to. I'm simply called to believe it, and I believe it based upon the testimony of the word. So here, once again, we have that little hint, that little indication, God referring to himself as us. But notice also here in verse 22 and 23, where he says that the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Apparently, we were not created with the capacity to handle the knowledge of evil. That is not a capacity that man was given when he was created. And when man sought to attain that knowledge that was never really a knowledge that was intended for him to experience, it crushed the human race. And we see that all around us to this very hour. We see how evil has inundated life and society and and the world. And we see that, that inclination toward evil. And we see man's fascination with evil. And in all of it, we see the destructive element there as well. It was never intended by God that man should possess the knowledge of evil. But it's interesting to me that as we read here, we see that God puts a limit on the spread of and the duration, the spread and the duration of evil. And what does God do? It says that lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. God puts a limit on evil. He puts a limit on its ability to spread and the duration of it. Now, 
sometimes we think, and many have thought, how great it would be to have immortality. And of course, if you have immortality in the right sense or the biblical sense, the immortality that God gives that's an immortality that's a a sinless immortality, that's that's a wonderful thing. But most people don't think of it in those terms. Most people just think of it in terms of, oh, if I could just go on living forever, as, as we talked a few weeks ago, oh, if I could just discover the fountain of youth and stay young forever. But this would be one of the most horrific things imaginable. Just think if wicked, wicked people never died. <laughs> That's a frightening thought, you know, realistically. Realistically. I mean, you think about all of the tyrants and all of the people who have afflicted people throughout history, all the monstrous people that have lived, and just think if those people just kept on living. So God is not going to allow that to happen. Now, evidently, the potential was there that if man were able to go back into the garden and partake of the tree of life, that he would go on living forever, but go on living forever in the corrupted state. And so God is going to prohibit that from happening. You know, these things are, they're mysterious things, but this is what it says here. And so the Lord, we read, he expelled them from the Garden of Eden. And I think that verse 23 is a very sad verse. Therefore, the Lord God sent them out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground. You know, just kind of picture that in your mind, if you could. You know, here's man and woman. They've had this beautiful relationship with God. You know, maybe you could kind of liken it to the relationship that you might have within your family, maybe between you and your children or something like that. Just you know, the most ideal, most blessed, most wonderful experience you could imagine, relationship-wise. But now all of that has been radically altered. And in my own mind's eye, just to imagine the scene, the setting, at that moment, as we read here, that God sent them out of the garden. Oh, how sad it is to think of them being expelled out from the presence of God. So they're expelled from the garden. And what has happened now? Their fellowship with God is now altered. It's not severed entirely, as it potentially could have been had God not intervened in mercy, but it's definitely altered. They're no longer going to enjoy that intimacy that they once had with the Lord. They're no longer going to have those times of meeting with the Lord as they did in the cool of the evening in the garden. The relationship is still there. God has kept the relationship intact, but it's definitely been altered. It's been affected. The presence of God is no longer an immediate presence. And so now they're they're going out from the presence of the Lord, and they will have, as we do as well, they will have those times where there's those occasional visitations from the Lord, and 
you know, those types of things. Of course, we even have a, a greater experience of that now because of the new covenant. But back with them at this time, there would have been a radical change in their experience with the Lord. And this, of course, is one of the tragedies of sin. Sin separates us from fellowship with God. Sin alters that fellowship. Sin puts us at a distance from the Lord. Like the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah, you remember he said, he said, my ear is not heavy that I cannot hear you. My arm is not short that I cannot save you. But your sins have separated you from your God. And, and this is what sin does. Sin separates. And so that beautiful relationship that was once experienced by Adam and Eve is no longer their experience. And they're expelled from the garden And man is now subjected to the cruelty of a cursed creation. I I don't even think that we could grasp the magnitude of, of all that happened there on that day. But we might have had little taste of it here and there because... Although the situations vary, sin essentially does the same thing. How many relationships have been ruined over sin? You know, this is is the reality of sin. Of course, the enemy and those who serve him are always, you know, painting a different picture, aren't they? Sin, that's where all the fun is. And we see it all around us. We see it in, of course, the advertising. We see it in the movies and the TV programs, and we hear about it in the music. And, you know, it's all this idea that, you know, there's so much fun to be had. There's so much excitement to be enjoyed. And... You know, basically, it's just a big invitation to come and just engage in indulging your flesh and all that. Everything that the Bible would refer to as sin. The world is calling out saying, come on, be part of this. This is wonderful. This is great. And it looks so good on the outside. But it's a very thin veneer. And it doesn't take too long before you begin to find out that just as the Bible says, sin brings forth death. And it brings forth death in relationships. And it breaks relationships that should have stayed together. It breaks those relationships up. And ultimately, as we're reading here, it breaks the relationship between man and his maker, God, the one who loves us. And leaves us ultimately in a state of misery. And so that's where they were at. But there is, there is a bright light here at the end of this story of the fall. And the bright light is 
what is stated in verse 21. And it's interesting, it just, you know, you just can, could perhaps just sort of read over it and not really grasp the, the significance of the statement. But this is, this is the silver lining in the whole picture, in the whole tragic picture. Here's the silver lining. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and he clothed them. Now, remember, back in verse 7, perhaps you remember reading there, that after they had sinned and they realized that they were naked and they felt ashamed, remember what they did? It says that they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves coverings. Verse 21 is God's response to that. See, those two verses are connected. So man, as he has sinned, he's come to the realization that something has changed Something is radically different. He feels ashamed. He feels naked. He is naked. The man and the woman, they're, they're naked, and they suddenly know that they're naked. And it's not, I don't think it was just the physical nakedness. That was sort of the outworking of it all, but there was, there was something deeper beyond that. There was just that, that whole sense of something had been radically altered in their relationship with God. And in a feeble attempt to reverse that, they sew fig leaves together and they make themselves a covering. But God, he covers them himself. And we read that God made tunics of skin and he clothed them. Now, here's the thing. Tunics of skin imply death. They imply the death of an animal. Now, think about this. Up to this point, now remember what God had said. He, he had said to Adam, you remember, you can eat of all the trees in the garden, but of the tree in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. But think about it. They have partaken of the fruit. God has pronounced the judgments but up until this point, no one has died. No one has died, at least from, from the sense that they could, they could visually observe it. Now, they must have expected death as an immediate penalty for their sin. I, I would think that that would have been what was in their minds, and so when God came to them in the garden, they must have thought, this is it. It's just as God said, we're going to die. But they didn't die. In fact, not even the serpent died. Not even the serpent died. Up until this point, there had been no death at all, and now... The death that does occur is not their death. 
For the month of September, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. The current culture is enamored with things that are new, novel, or out of the ordinary. But the everyday and seemingly mundane and ordinary things of life are given hardly any thought. But what surprises can be revealed by the common things in life? In his book, God of All Things, Andrew Wilson will help you to encounter the extraordinary in the ordinary in a way that exalts Jesus and provides practical application. You'll be astonished at how everyday things can offer glimpses of the character and gospel of God. This book will move you to worship and the enjoyment of God. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.